I'm just going to say the benediction and we'll get out of here. <laughs> wow. 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 God is good. Amen. Oh, man. Wow. He does abundantly more, exceedingly more than what we ask or imagine. And, uh, wow. Let's, let's give God praise one more time. Come on, better than that. Come on. I was sitting there like, she's preaching my message. <laughs> Pastor John Michael, she's preaching my message. Uh, and Pastor J.M. just looks at me, just. <laughs> same Holy Spirit. Today, I want to talk to you about rest. Mm. Who likes to rest? I like to rest. You know, I'd like to think that I was a pro at rest, but I'm not. (laughs) But I want to talk to you about rest. And, you know, here in the house, we've been talking a lot about grace. Uh, The past couple weeks at Hillside Campus here at Itaewon, a lot of our sermons have been about the grace of God. But I want to tell you that a person who lives by grace lives in rest. And if you get anything today, if anything sticks with you today, I want you to know that a person that lives by, by grace lives in rest. You ever met someone who's like really tired and exhausted and has been just constantly doing stuff? You know, they, they've got like the bags in their eyes, their faces are sunken in. You're just like, what, what's happened to you? You know, that's what I looked like last year. I'm talking about myself. Every time I talk to someone, they're like, you need to go sleep. I'm like, what are you talking about? I look good. And then I look in the mirror and I say, oh my gosh, I look like house of the dead. I look like a zombie. But what, you know, you ever seen someone though, who's well rested? I talked about this a lot since I come back, but when I went to Tobago, when I went to the Caribbean and I came back, the first person I saw was uh, pastor Isaac Kim, who's who's, uh, he's, uh, one of our community care pastors at the Hillside campus. And, and when he saw me, he saw me. And the first thing he said was, mm, 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 mm. I was like, bro, okay, calm down. I'm not Campbell's suit. <laughs> and he's like, mm, brother, you look well rested. I was like, snap. <laughs> and then I saw pastor David King, who's one of our other pastors. And he sees me and he was like, bro, there was something about you that made me just want to go pray and be in the presence of God for three hours. And I was like, what? I don't remember anything like that. And he's like, it's because you look so well rested. You ever been around someone who's just really at peace? Who's well rested? Isn't there something about that kind of person that you want to be around them? You know, you want to spend time with them. You want to talk to them because, man, they look like life is going well. And what I'm realizing and what I want you to know today is that God wants you to live a life in rest. Um, I picked up this book called The Now Habit. It's a book about procrastination. 
because, uh, you know, I have trouble with procrastination. And at my, at my office, you know, I'll sit there and I'll be doing work and I'll look like I'm like, I'll get in the zone. Then all of a sudden I'll end up on Facebook. I don't know how, fa- I don't even know how that happens. I think there's like a Facebook demon that just comes and he's check your status, check somebody liked it, you know? And so I'm just sitting there and I'm working. And by the way, as a pastor, I do more than just sit in a room and pray all day as a pastor, you know, I'm in charge of doing pretty much all the graphic design for our house. And so that takes a lot of work and I'm working usually on that when I'm here in the house as well as the discipleship. And so I'm sitting in the office and I'm working and then all of a sudden I'll get distracted with Instagram. I don't even know how I get distracted with Instagram because it's not even on my computer. Like I have to pick up my phone and then go to Instagram. But I get so, I get so distracted. And so I, I saw this book when I was in Kyobo and it said, The Now Habit, How to Defeat Procrastination, How to Work Effectively. We all want to work efficiently, right? We all want to do things better. And so I get this book and I'm like, yes, this book is going to cure all my problems. <laughs> and so I open it up. And from chapters two onward, it's all about the best methods to work well. It gives you, it gives you the exact things you need to do. You need to prioritize, you need to plan, you need to do all that. But when I read through the introduction and I get to chapter one, chapter one says, listen, I'm reading it. It says that to me. If you don't get chapter one, if you don't get this first principle, the rest of the principles we teach in this book, you won't defeat procrastination. If you don't get this first principle, It doesn't matter what you learn about working efficiently. And so I start reading chapter one and chapter one is all about rest. What? And it says that most people, they don't work well because they don't rest well. Most people don't live effective lives. Most people don't live impactful lives, not because you need to learn how to do things better. See, the church is really good about telling you Try harder. Stupid. You know, they don't say that, but they, you know, you hear the messages. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And so we go around thinking, I just need to try harder. I just need to try harder. We're really good about wanting to work well. But the thing is, is that you don't learn how to work well unless you learn how to rest well. It actually said, I was reading it and I was like, this is revelation. It's like they stole it from the Bible or something, you know, I'm reading it. And it said that most people, they go to their jobs and they work as hard as they can, hoping that at the end of the day, they'll be able to get some rest. You know, you're at your job day in and day out. And all you're thinking about is that vacation that you circled in the month of June, that, that, vacation that you've thought about, or even just getting off work. So you're sitting there and it's 1030 and you're looking at the clock. Like, I can't wait till it's five. You look back and you look back again and you think that it's going to be like three o'clock, but really it's only 1031. Not much time has passed. And you don't, we don't work well because we don't rest well. So most people, the way they live their lives is that they spend their time at work thinking about how they need to rest. But then when it comes time to rest, we spend our time feeling guilty because there's so much work we need to do. You know that feeling? Am I the only one? (laughs) Feeling anxious, feeling worn out. But I want you to know that rest is much more than an event. 
Rest is much more than just getting off work or going on vacation. You know, I'm going to go and get me some rest. I'm going to go someplace and I'm going to rest. Rest is so much more than just an event. Rest is a mindset. Rest is something that most of us, many of us, we don't really know how to do well. But God wants to speak to us today about rest. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. We're going to look at some scripture. And we're going to look at a really famous passage of scripture. A lot of us know it. We can quote it. And what I'm going to give to you today, I'm going to give you two characteristics of a person who doesn't live in rest. And I'm going to give you three characteristics of a person who does live in rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. When you're there, say, I'm there. Let's read 28 to 30 all together. Ready? One, two, three. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that today you're wanting to give us a true revelation of rest. God, you want us to be people that live by grace and live in rest, God. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come. That you would come and you would move today. That your people would be people who are well rested in you. That God, that rest would not just be something that we look forward to every now and then. But God, we would be able to live in a perpetual state of rest. So Lord, I pray your word to go out to be sharper than a double-edged sword. And to bring back much fruit for your kingdom. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jesus was someone who ministered out of rest. You, you never see Jesus hurried, you know. Even when everyone else would try to hurry Jesus, Jesus was like the most peaceful individual. It doesn't mean that he was like phlegmatic, like he didn't ever like have emotions or anything. But he was, he was just the most peaceful individual. No one rushed Jesus. And Jesus, he walked around with this ministry of rest. And I know, I realize that for myself, even this past year, God has been really speaking to me, not just about grace, but about rest, about what it means to live a life of rest. And I want to tell you, like I said, rest is not, rest isn't simply the cessation of work. Rest isn't what happens when you stop working, but rest really is the cessation of striving. Rest is when you stop striving. What is striving? Striving is when you try to do things in your own strength. You know, some of us are different. Some of us are a bit more goal-oriented than others. But all of us have a problem with striving. All of us have an issue with trying to do things in our own strength. And Jesus wants us to experience rest. I'm going to give you two characteristics of a person without rest. And we're going to look at verse 28. Jesus says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. The first characteristic is the person without rest is exhausted. 
exhausted. The word Jesus says, he says, come to me, all who labor. In other translations, it says all who are weary. You know what it's like to feel weary, to feel exhausted. That word in the Greek, it literally, it just means to be exhausted from work. To labor with wearisome effort, to toil, to be exhausted, to grow weary. It's a struggling to provide, a struggling to impress others, a struggling to get ahead. And becoming exhausted because of it. You know, last year in 2012, I think that was for me, that was a year where I learned what it meant to feel exhausted. I, I took on becoming the, the media pastor here at New Philly and I was overseeing as I'm doing now, the graphic design, but my mindset was so different. We were working on, and we were still working on our church's new website. And, and we were also working on creating like new logos and new graphics for our church. And so I would work on these things during the day and I would, I would sit there and I would be, I would try to be creative. I'd get out like some, you know, color pencils and some <laughs> blank sheets of paper and different stuff. And I would try to draw and I'd try to come up with all these ideas. And every idea I came up with, I felt like it absolutely sucked. You ever, you never know what that's like. You try to do something and you're just like, Oh, what is this? And you just throw it and you start over over again. That was like my, my life for an entire year. Like every day, like I would go in and I would work on something, start all over, work on something, start all over. And then five o'clock would come. And so I get off work. And so I get off work. Yes. But in the back of my mind was this thought, you know what? I still got to make this website. So I would go to a cafe and I would work and I was putting in like 14 hour days, like four days a week. And then I would go home and because I was still stressed out about this work, I would lay down and try to go to sleep, but I'm, I'm only seeing logos. I'm dreaming of logos and HTML and graphics and color pencils. Like I'm just sitting there and I cannot sleep and I'm waking up in the middle of the night with cold sweats, insomnia, and, and I'm perpetually tired, just exhausted. You know what that's like? Some of you are like, I have no idea what that's like. You know what it's like just to be tired, to be at your end. Maybe you're at your end of believing or at your end of trusting God for a particular thing. He says the first characteristic of someone who doesn't live in rest is that they're exhausted. Maybe you've been spending all your time and all your money towards buying certain clothes or buying certain things to impress others. Maybe you've got these goals that you've been constantly striving ahead so you can look better than the person next to you. So you can impress your parents or you can impress, you know, that ex. I don't know. Hey, I know that motivates some of y'all. You know, you get on Facebook. Anyways. I'm not the only one. You know, another word for this word labor is toil. It means to work and work and work and see no fruit. In Matthew 6, 28, Jesus talks about toil. He says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Meaning that you don't see lilies 
You don't see flowers like, oh, we've got another quota. We've got to get some more lilies up. No, they, they don't toil. They don't work. In Luke 5, 5, Jesus approaches Simon when he's out. And, he's, and Simon answers him, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Meaning that they laid their nets down and they picked them back up. They laid their nets down and they picked them back up. And every single time they didn't see any fish. You know what that's like? Maybe your Christian walk has felt like that. I pray and I don't see anything. I come out and I don't see anything. I worship and I don't see anything. And I just feel like I'm toiling and I'm exhausted, God. I feel dry, worn out. The second characteristic of someone who doesn't live in rest is they feel anxious and burdened. He says, come to me, all who, all who labor and are heavy laden. That word heavy laden means to place a burden upon, to load. And actually, most commentators, they, they say that in this context, Jesus was talking about the burden that comes upon a person in trying to fulfill the law. Now, to give you some context, the law during that time wasn't just like the Ten Commandments. It wasn't just the Mosaic law. It wasn't just the Old Testament. But it was also that these different laws and these different rules and regulations that the Pharisees over time and over tradition would continually add that the people had to fulfill in order to feel like they were right before God. And Jesus said that this is a burden. I'll tell you a story to kind of give you some context. When I was a kid, I think I've talked about this before. I learned how to read when I was three years old. And that may not mean much to some of you, but in the very small southern North Carolina town I grew up in, me learning how to read, it was like the bells went off. Everyone thought I was like the next, like Albert Einstein, the next Stephen Hawking. Like they were like, he's a genius. He can read. And I'm like with Sesame Street, like one to he's a, he's a genius he's a prodigy and then throughout my life as, every time I was like as a kid my first report card I brought my first report card in and my mom's like wow straight O's you know because they didn't give you A's then they just gave you like O's straight O's like outstanding oh you're so smart you're so smart I love you you're so smart and like all my teachers, they would all talk about how smart I was. And like everyone around me, all my family, they talk about how I was the genius. Maybe for some of you, it was the opposite. But for me, they were saying, oh, you're the genius. And what began to happen is that, and I read this in a, also about this in a book called Nurture Shock, called The Inverse Power of Praise, is that as a child, I begin to equate straight A's with my mother's love. I begin to equate my success in school with my family being pleased with me. I know this happens in Korean families, you know. I hear about it all the time. If you get straight A's, then I'm proud of you. You know, I, I used to, that was exactly the way I felt. Like if I brought this report card that has straight A's on it, then my mom was going to be proud of me. Then I'm smart. Then I'm intelligent. Then I'm loved. And then that if-then kind of relationship, it expanded as I got older, you know. If I smile to people, then people will like me. If I dress a certain way, then people will treat me a certain way. If I raise my hands in worship, then people will think I'm holy. If I pray.
pray, if I come out to this, then God will be pleased with me. Sometimes we can start to create this if then with God even. If I give this amount of money, then God will bless me. If I come out to this many meetings, then this will happen. In my mind, I thought that if I serve God, I'll never get sick. But what happens when life does not cooperate with the if-then formula that you've created in your mind? See, we as human beings, we have a propensity towards the law. We like to create laws in our mind because it helps us to understand the world. You know, if I do this, then I'll get this. If this happens, then this will happen. But what do you do when life doesn't cooperate? I remember the first time I brought that report card in that had an S instead of an O. Satisfactory. I remember the first time that I came before God and I thought like, you know, if I believe in God, I'll, I'll never get sick. I'll never experience hardship. And then I remember the feeling that happened when I did. You know, last April, this past April, the doctors had pretty much given me this ambiguous diagnosis of, of having thyroid cancer. And I didn't know how to take it. Because in my mind, the metric that I lived by was that if I serve God, if I do this for God, nothing bad will ever happen to me. I'll, I'll never experience. But then because stuff started to happen, it messed up the law in my mind. And then I started to believe, wait, God must not be pleased with my service. God must not be pleased with me. If I come and do this, then God will love me. But what happens when you're unable to keep up that side of the equation? If I pray, if I'm pure, if I'm, if I do this and this and this and this, then God will love me. What happens when you are physically unable to keep up with that, keep up that side of the equation? All of a sudden, God feels really distant. All of a sudden, you feel disillusioned. And what begins to happen is we begin to take on these burdens because we think that we have to strive in order to impress God. You know, usually what happens is that we find ourselves unable to make sense because the law that's been set up in our minds, it doesn't hold with the way God works. And so usually we end up feeling devastated, disillusioned, and distant. We start feeling emotionally burdened, spiritually distant, and physically exhausted. And usually those feelings cause us to strive even more. Or to give up. Well, I, I thought, God, if I gave you this, you would give me this. But since you're not going to give it to me, I'm going to take it into my own hands. 
or we've created this. If I do this, this, and this, God's going to be pleased with me. And then when we fail, we feel like God completely hates us. And then our lives become filled with anxiety, filled with stress, filled with burdens. See, Jesus knew this. This was the context in which Jesus was speaking to the people in Matthew chapter 11, because everyone that was around him was so. They were tired. They were exhausted. They were being told what they needed to do in order to please God. But God, but they weren't able to keep up that that aspect of the bargain. And so they they were exhausted striving trying to please God and so Jesus comes to them and he says come to me and I will give you rest and it's funny because Jesus says he says take my yoke upon you and learn from me it's interesting that you know when Jesus comes before them he tells them that they need to learn from him We think it's easy to rest, right? Rest, what does Pastor Marcus have to talk about when we're talking about rest? Rest is self-explanatory. I lay down, I go to sleep. I kick up my feet, I read a good book. Like what, I I just sit there and veg and watch Walking Dead. I know how to rest. You don't need to teach me how to rest, right? But the truth of the matter is, is that we do need to learn how to rest. The truth of the matter is, is that many of us, we're really good at striving, but we are really bad at resting. You know, God commands, God commands Adam to steward the, the garden of Eden. And we see God has a, God puts value on work. So this message is not a message telling you to go quit your job. Okay. If one of you come up to me afterwards saying, Pastor Marks, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I'm quitting my job. I'm taking a year off, chilling. I'm going to be like, that is not from Jesus. <laughs> no, God puts a promise on work and on stewardship. But it's interesting because he only talks about it once. He says it to Adam and then he doesn't really bring up work again. But even with the Israelites, he doesn't really bring up work. But in the Ten Commandments, when God's got ten shots, he's got ten shots to talk about what he wants them to understand. You would think that in that he would be like, commandment number six, go to work on time, work hard, be a good Christian by working. But God never brings up work at all. Actually, in the Ten Commandments, he doesn't bring up work, he brings up rest. And throughout the the Bible, you see God constantly talking about keeping the Sabbath. You see him constantly talking about resting because you and I need to learn how to rest. Jesus even says, he says, take my yoke and learn from me. So I'm going to give you three characteristics of a person of rest. The first, we see it in verse 28. Jesus says, come to me. Just come to him. A person who lives in rest lives in the presence of God. You know, in the presence of God is where we find rest. In the presence of God, that's where there's fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his presence, it says that when we can boldly approach his throne, that's where we find grace 
to help us in our time of need. A person who walks in rest, they live in the presence of God. They spend every waking moment in the presence of God. When I was in Tobago, I met this guy, this this old uh, guy from Trinidad. And the moment I, well, I was told about him by the the bride at the wedding, and she said, you have to meet this guy. There's this guy from Trinidad. He's coming to the wedding, and li- literally, he prayed for me the last time I was in Trinidad. He's so anointed that when he prayed for me, I believed I was going to meet my wife, my, my husband, on the flight back. And I was like, okay, I'm going to meet this man. And so I go up to him, and I'm about to ask him for prayer. But as soon as I start talking to him, I don't say anything because I recognize that the presence of God is on this man. And this guy's so well-rested. He's just like, oh, just come over here and sit down. And we just start talking. And this man, like, you ever been around someone where they're, they're, it's almost like their aura. Like, they just, they just seem so peaceful. I walked up to this guy and he's just talking to me and, and he, and I could just sense that in his life, he never stresses out. (laughs) Because he lives in the presence of God. I was talking to him. I was like, hey, well, so I heard that, I heard that, you know, you can pray for people and, you know, you got like this crazy anointing. He said, hey, 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 calm down, calm down, calm down. (laughs) You know, I went home and uh, I was at the prayer meeting and (sighs) the prayer meeting was supposed to last two hours. It lasted for eight hours. And I was looking at him. I was like, how do you pray for eight hours? How's that even possible? Like, I pray for 30 minutes, and I'm, I want to take a nap. And he said, it's because we're in the presence of God. And in the presence of God, there's no striving. How do you live in the presence of God? I'll give you one quick step. It says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. The way that you begin to enter into rest is by thanksgiving and praise. See, for many of us, we don't understand that the presence of God is the place where we experience peace. We don't understand that through worship, when we enter into the presence of God, that's the first component to living a life of rest. So what do we do? We treat worship with contempt. You know, the reason why we start our services with worship It's because when we bring thanksgiving and praise before God, his presence comes. And when God's presence comes, it brings peace and rest. If you want to live in rest, you first have to get good at living in the presence of God. The second. Let's keep reading. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart. Here's the next two, actually. The first, gentleness. Everyone say gentleness. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, I'm gentle. (laughs) Some of you are like, I'm not gentle. It's okay, we're going to work on that. Another word for gentleness is meekness. Here's what meekness means. Meekness... I'll read it from the, this is the Greek and English lexicon of the New Testament. It says, meekness towards God is that disposition of spirit where we accept his dealings with us as good. 
It's that place of heart where we accept and have confidence in the goodness of God. Really, it's not just living in the presence of God, but a person who's at rest, they live with confidence in the goodness of God. They trust that God is good in every situation. It says that gentleness is the opposite. It's the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. Ooh. Mm. It stems from a trust in God's goodness and control over the situation. You, you ever been so overwhelmed with work that all of a sudden you start feeling really, really anxious? Overwhelmed with different things that you have to do, different things that you want to do. And then all of a sudden you start feeling anxious. This, you've got this huge to-do list and it's impossible to accomplish. You know what really happens in that moment? You stop being really gentle to every person around you. You stop being gentle and you start becoming a jerk, you know? It's actually because when you are anxious or when you are in a functional mentality, what begins to happen is that your relational center in your brain literally cuts off. So you become unable to connect with people and with God. When we become so wrapped up in what we need to do and what has to happen, we stop connecting with God and we start performing. In a performance, there's no connection. But Jesus says, learn that a characteristic of someone who walks in rest is that they're gentle. And what does that mean to be gentle? That means that in every situation you trust that God is good. That in every situation you trust that God is going to turn it around. Someone cuts you off. God's going to turn this around for my good. I bless you. You know, usually what we like to do is when we get anxious or we get overwhelmed, we like to cut off relationship. But if you trust that God is good, it enables you to live in that place of rest where you don't have to strive or be anxious. And then the third, and this one actually is my favorite. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Another word for lowly here is humility. Humility is not an attribute that the world thinks highly of. Humility is not something that, you know, you don't, you don't see that as number one on the self-help books. How to be humble. Here are 10 steps. No, it's how to become your own CEO, how to do this, how to like, how to rule over people, how to get your, but no one's writing a book on being humble. Because that book does not sell. The word humble, the word lowly, you know what it means? It literally means to be as low to the ground as possible. And in the church, I want to tell you, here's what, here's what humility really means. Humility means embracing your weakness and receiving God's strength. Now, in the church nowadays, there's not just humility, but there's also false humility. And see, false humility is embracing your weakness, but rejecting God's strength. You ever met someone that's walking in false humility? You know, man, you did such a great job. No, 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 I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. It's fine. I did, you know, it wasn't me. It was all God. Be quiet. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that anointed. 
it's that person that says, you know, false humility, people who are falsely humble, they, they're always groveling. They're always talking about how low and how weak and how awful they are. But the moment you begin to speak strength into them, they close up. And they have trouble receiving that. That's false humility. False humility actually is very similar to pride. Pride is a rejecting of your weakness and a rejecting of God's strength. Both involve a rejecting of strength, God's strength. But humility, true humility is about embracing our weakness in the sight of God and being able to receive his strength. See, because you can't just come before God and to receive rest and to live in rest, you can't just come before his presence yet not believe he's good. Because then you're just going to come before God and say, God, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. But then you can't just come up and say, God, you know, I trust in your goodness, but then not understand how much you really need him. See, embracing your weakness is actually the key to receiving God's strength. Let me explain. I had a conversation with a sister, a really close friend of mine that is at another campus and And she had shared with me that she was going through some issues, that there was some sin that she was struggling with and that she needed prayer to overcome it. Like this was a bondage that she had constantly been having trouble with. And and so I talked to her and and we were just talking and we just she was just kind of sharing what was going on. And then she was like, you know, what do you think? And to be honest, I didn't know. I wanted to be like, I don't know. But I didn't think that was going to be good enough. So I was. I asked God, I said, God, what do you want to say? And God spoke to me and he's like, listen. And so I just shared, here's what I think God's saying to you. God's saying you can come before him and trust that he's good. But you know that God knows you're weak. You know that God knows that you have these, that you have these weaknesses. The problem, though, is not that God knows you're weak. The problem is that you don't know that you're weak. The problem is, is that when you come before God, you're spending all your time trying to be strong and trying to be huge and trying to fight before God. When God just wants you to to just say, God, I'm struggling. God, I'm weak. God, I need your help. And I want to tell you, this is not religion. This is maturity. To come before God and say, God, I'm having a tough time. And then I said to her, I said, and I feel like God wants me to tell you, you're a human being. It's okay. You're not a robot. See, sometimes, let's use emotions, for example. Sometimes when we feel sad or we feel angry or we feel disappointed... What God wants you to do in that moment is to come before him and say, God, I am angry. God, I am sad. God, I am upset. God, I need your grace. God, I need forgiveness. I need help to forgive. I need help to get over this disappointment. But a lot of times what we do is we come before God. And because we don't believe that he's good, we try to act as if we're not angry. To act as if I'm not sad. You know, God, I'm so happy right now. You're not even really happy because what you went through was hard. You know, Jesus had emotions. God had emotions. He has emotions, not had. He's he's still living. 
You know, Jesus was angry. He walked up in with a whip. He was whipping people like if we if we did that, we go to jail. But somehow when we get angry, we start feeling bad. Like, I can't believe I'm so angry right now. The question isn't. What's wrong with you being angry? The question is, what are you going to do with that anger? Are you going to strive and try and solve it on your own power? Or are you going to bring it before God? When we're sad. You know, sometimes we can. We can be experiencing tough times and feel sad. And then we come before God and try to. We try to fake it. And be like, God, you know what? No, no, God, everything's fine. I just, I just decree and declare. And all of a sudden, we start fighting emotions that God gave us. But, you know, if you're fighting something that God gave you, you're not going to win that battle. And then all of a sudden, Satan comes in, the accuser comes in, and he starts accusing you for feeling something that God has wired you to feel. When God wants you to do is just to come before him and say, God... I'm sad. Give me your comfort. You know, God sends the Holy Spirit to be our comforter when we're sad. To help build us up when we're weak. You know, in prayer, sometimes we don't know what to pray for. And what can happen is, you know, you come to the prayer meeting or you come out and you start praying and you see other people praying around you. And the first thought that goes through your mind is, man, how do they know what to pray for? I've never prayed like that. Man, I must really suck as a person. I'm not as holy as they are. But the Bible says if you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit will intercede for you. He will teach you and show you how to pray. Let's talk about lust. Some heads came up then. You know, God gave you sexual desires. For men, they're more visual. For women, more emotional. And what begins to happen is that you don't understand that you're a human being, that God has given you this to be enjoyed in the covenant of marriage. So Satan comes and he begins to accuse you. Say, what, what are you doing feeling emotionally att- attracted to someone? What are you doing feeling attracted to someone? What is, what's wrong with you? You're a dirty person. What's wrong with you? And all of a sudden we start convincing us, you know what, man, I am. And then we come before God and we say, God, take these desires away from me. And God's looking at you like, you're going to be in trouble when you get married then. I love that story with Pastor Aaron when she first realized that she was, she liked Pastor Christian. Because I think it, it displays this in such a great way. Pastor Christian was, was giving a, he was preaching on, um, I think he was preaching on singleness and marriage. And that's when she liked Pastor Christian. And so it cracks me up because she she started to realize that she liked him. And so what she started doing was she started binding and warfaring against her feelings. 
And she was like, I come against this demonic feeling. I come against this demon that's causing me to like him. Until a, a brother came along and said, hey, um, what are you doing? You're a human being. It's natural for you to have feelings. The question is, what are you going to do with those feelings? See, a person who lives in rest, they recognize that, you know what? I'm a human being. I'm going to have emotions. I'm going to have feelings. You know, sometimes I'm not even going to know what to do. I love in Acts when it talks about Paul. And Paul was wanting to go into one town, but the spirit led him somewhere else. And we read that sometimes thinking like, oh man, Paul was so holy that the spirit. No, Paul had no idea where to go. And so in that moment, he said, God, I don't know where to go. Spirit, will you lead me to where you want me to go next? And the spirit said, I want you to go to that city. He wasn't condemning himself because he didn't know where to go. He went before a God that was good and a God that wanted to lead him by his presence. See, when you see rest is about walking in God's presence. It's about coming before him, trusting that he's good. And then it's about trusting that he's good enough that you can be honest before him, that you can be vulnerable before him, that when you're weak, you can come before him and ask him for strength. Because when you're weak in him, you're strong. When you don't know where, where to go, he will give you direction. When you don't know what to do, he will give you the words to speak. And if God will, if God will do all of that for you, what is there to be anxious about? What is there to be burdened about? What is there really to keep us from the place of rest? I want us to pray together.